Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Oh, bro- brother, it's good to have you back, um, really doing a part two today. Uh, if you heard last week's episode um, was on the dangers of charismatic doctrine, this is really a part two of that. Um, and so if you didn't listen to that one, uh, listen to that one as kind of an introduction and then maybe come back to this one. But, um, it, you know, last time, Eki, we we spent a whole lot of time just talking about really the kind of the, the dangers that. Yeah, come from uh, believing in and promoting charismatic doctrines. And I think those things are really good for people to hear. Um, but to some degree that it was a lot of anecdotal kind of evidence. And that's important. Right. You know, when a doctrine leads to, you know, people being physically harmed as kind of a normative practice, that's a big red flag. It kind of just goes beyond uh, an anecdotal experience. Right. Um, but this episode, we really, really want to kind of dig in biblically and just show people how we come to a cessationist view, um, from scripture and particularly, and maybe even more importantly, why what we see today is nothing like what we see in scripture. Uh, And I think that kind of really deals with, uh, the, the issues, um, uh, now, if I can, Eki, for a moment, put you on the spot here just a little bit. So you used a term last week to describe yourself that a few people were unfamiliar with. And I just thought yeah, maybe you could un- cessationist. Yeah. unpack that a little bit for us. Um, <clears throat> is there really a difference between that and a cessationist or like we've got several questions about that. So do w- you want to just unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, um, one person got confused because I think um, you had mentioned John Piper. Um, either he said it, or you described him as a as a functional cessationist, and uh, and it, I called yeah. myself a, a practical cessationist. And uh, the, the words, if if you just look at the meaning of the words, they they look like they would mean identical things. But when Piper says, or when we refer to Piper as a functional cessationist, he believes in the gifts. And he he's encouraging of those churches that claim to have them and practice them. Um, I'm not. And so when I say I'm a practical cessationist, um, it was really a term that I borrowed from Paul Washer. I saw a little video clip where Paul Washer talks about the spiritual gifts. And he said, look, uh, he, he said, I've heard all the arguments. I, I know, I know uh, where the arguments come from for cessationism. He said, but I have still yet to be convinced that there is any one single verse that says for certain that these gifts would cease with the apostolic era. He said, that being said, um, he, he, he said he has no reason to believe that they have continued as well, that they're, um, the, the way that it's practiced today does not follow the biblical pattern. And, and, and then I think when you look at church history as well, I think church history bears testimony to that as well. And we talked about last week about how the church is built upon the foundation uh, of the prophets and the apostles. That's Ephesians 2.20, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And I believe there were sign gifts that were very closely connected to those individuals to really kind of um, lend credibility to the fact that they were indeed apostles and prophets of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Um, and, and really those signs uh, served the same purpose that the signs did for Jesus Christ, which was to show people um, who he was, to, to validate who he was, and to also then point to the message that he would bring. And so as a practical cessationist, I would say that I do not believe that the gifts have continued for today. Um, I am not totally against um, someone who says um, they're about to come back or they're going to come back in the future. I mean, when you look at Revelation, there are two prophets that are going to come back. Exactly what they're going to do, um, you know, we know what Revelation says. Will they bring prophecy um, that's, uh, you know, something that's new to Scripture? I don't believe so. I, I think they would come and, and as spokesperson of God and what they say will basically cohere perfectly with what the Word of God reveals. Um, so, yeah, when someone comes to me and says that they believe in the gifts, they believe in tongues, and, you know, it's not something that I, I necessarily want to argue about. You know, what, what I'll point them to, for instance, if someone says they speak the gift of tongues, um, I would just point to 1 Corinthians 14 and say, okay, the, the focus of these gifts is edification. You see that word show up over and over again throughout chapter 14. And going back to chapter 12, uh, Paul says that all these gifts are for the common good. It's for the body of Christ. And so if someone says they speak in tongues, I would say, well, is there an interpreter? Are you speaking it, first of all, in the congregation? And if you are, is there an interpreter? And is that interpreter accurate? How do you validate uh, the interpretation? Because I've seen many cases where, or I've heard many cases where someone speaks in tongues and they record it and they play it back to a number of people who claim to have the gift of interpretation, and you get five different interpretations from five different people. Well, if you have the gift of interpretation and that's real tongue, it shouldn't lead to five different interpretations. Um, it should be the same message. So anyway, I, <clears throat> what I would say is that for people that claim to have this, someone who claims to be a prophet, I'll just listen. Okay, well, what do you have to say? And you know what? If what they share is completely biblical, I'm not going to argue with them. Right. I mean, if, if what they're saying is biblical, but if what they say is unbiblical or if what they say does not follow the pattern of the way I know God operates, uh, as we see in the Bible, then I, I know that I don't need to listen to this person and I, I can point out that that person's a fraud. So all the prophets that had predicted a victory for Donald Trump, well, we know what the what the uh, requirement is, what, what the standard is for prophets, that everything they claim to say must come true. So just applying those tests, I, I don't believe that the, the gifts have um, continued on, but I'm not going to make an argument that the Bible says it. What I'll, I'll make an argument is that the scriptures are sufficient, and if you're going to claim that the gifts are still continuing today, I want to see proof that it follows the same pattern of scripture, and I have yet to see that kind of proof. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And, and so it's very different than the continuationist view. And, yes, and it's a yes. little bit different and it's a little bit different than than my view, although maybe not actually. Um, it, it, you know, I would say I'm a hardline cessationist um, and I would say that I get that primarily from Scripture. But I, I would also agree with you. It's not from one verse. It's not even yeah. just from two verses. In fact, it's it's a theological position, much yeah. like the Trinity. You can't point to one verse to prove the Trinity can't even point to just two verses to prove the Trinity. You, you've got to kind of read the whole of Scripture. You've got to yeah. have an understanding of the character and nature mm -hmm. of Christ, of God, of the Holy Spirit. You've got to piece some things together to come to right. the doctrine of the Trinity. And I think that cessationism is that same way. You, you've got mm -hmm. to piece together 
um, you know, various parts of scripture that I think are pretty clear. You've got to look at the New Testament and the pattern of the New Testament, how we have a short um, intertestamental period. We have the apostles who were undeniably different in their giftings. And then as you progress in the New Testament, you see those things stop. You, You don't even see them talked about. Um, to a great degree once you get past a certain area in in the order of the New Testament writings. You even have the Apostle Paul minimizing the gifts for things like just using his mind when he prays. In other words, just yeah. normal, regular, thoughtful language. And and so if and so for my view, you piece all of those things together. And then on top of that, after you've done that work, look at church history, look at yeah. what we see today. And, and I think you piece all that together and, and you can come to, I think, a safe um, doctrine. And just let me reiterate uh, for guys listening, the, the cessationist view and even the practical cessationist view does not believe that God no longer works any miracles. Right. It's the view that there are no longer miracle workers as a normative function in the body of christ so no one's walking around um regularly healing people as though they had the biblical gift of healing now could god heal people absolutely in fact you know if someone in my church came to the elders and said look i've read in the scripture where it says if any of you be sick uh come to the elders and have them pray for you we're gonna do that we're going to pray that God would be gracious and heal them if yeah. that's his will. Right. Um, and we're going to hope for that. Uh, and if God heals them, praise God. It, it was not because any of us had the gift of healing. It was just because God in his sovereign design decided to heal that person. And if they don't get healed, likewise, um, God in his sovereign will, you know, that was not what he had for them. So so it, it's not to say that God can't do miracles it's to say that what we see in right. scripture as a normative practice no longer happens today. Um, so let, let's, yeah, do you want to comment on that? And then we're going to move into yeah, prophecy. Uh, yeah, just some that just uh, occurred to me, and uh, you know this passage as well. I mean, when Paul speaks to Timothy and Timothy has that stomach issue, um, if Timothy had access to people who were healers, Paul could have just easily said, well, Timothy, go to this city there's a there's a person with the gift of healing or miracles or whatnot and and he'll go ahead and take care of that stomach but no paul actually recommends that he have a little wine uh to take care of that stomach the um the other thing i would point to and and i think this is good to keep in the back of your mind in terms of priority because a lot of people they will emphasize jesus work of healing his uh, mercy ministry as being what the gospel is all about but that's actually not the case and i think mark chapter 1 is actually quite clear in that let me go ahead and just read for you mark chapter 1 starting in verse 29 says immediately they came out of the synagogue they came down to the house of simon and andrew with james and john simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to jesus about her he came to her raised her up taking her by the hand and the fever left her and she waited on them so here we have Jesus Christ performing a miracle of healing for this fever, this sickness, for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city gathered at the door. It's very obvious why they're there. 
they're they're all there because they all want healing. If if there was a person who came today to any city in the United States or probably anywhere in the world and could prove that he had the gift of healing, I guarantee you this would be the the response that people would gather at that person's door and want that same healing. Verse 34, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And then verse 35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now that should be clear why everyone's looking for him. It's the same reason why everyone gathered at the door. They, they want the healing. They want the demon exorcism. Everyone was coming to Jesus. And if that was the primary mission for Jesus Christ, that we are to minister to the um, oppressed and, and the poor and to cure people of their sicknesses and, and diseases and all that, not to say that those things aren't good things, but if we make that into the priority, we have a problem here. Because in response to this, Jesus should have said, well, let's get back to them because I have work to do. You know, let, let's not keep them waiting because there's a lot of people that need to be healed. No, verse 38, he says, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that, and whenever you see that, so that, here's the purpose. So he says, let us go to the towns nearby. Why? Here's the purpose, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. So in contrast to the miracles of healing and demon exorcism, his purpose was actually to preach so that the healing was to lend credibility to the preaching. And it's the same thing for the apostles. The, the apostles, after they started to um, preach, and even on the day of Pentecost, you see the tongues of fire coming down on people. Um, the miracles from the apostles was, was to show that the things that were observed with Jesus Christ has now been granted to the apostles, and they have the same authority as ambassadors of Christ to bring about the same message of salvation. Yeah. You know, that's an important distinction because in largely uh, in charismatic circles, they belittle the preaching of the word and elevate, yeah, you know, right. uh, supernatural gifts. And here you have Jesus saying, I didn't come. This is not the reason I came, though. He did it. The reason he came was to preach. Um, and right. so he's actually it, it's exactly the opposite. It's the preaching of the word that is primary. Yeah. And then and then I think you rightly have. um it, you know, have seen that it's it was the miracles and the healings that were to validate the ministry, right? And so we no longer need to validate the preaching of the word, the foundation of the church. Um, that's been set. It's Christ's message has been validated. The apostles' message were validated. And then, I mean, you made a good point. Uh, the healings were undeniable. I mean, yeah. in fact, not even could the Pharisees deny the healings, nor did they. They acknowledge the right. healings to be genuine and look for other ways um, to, 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 to persecute Christ and the apostles. And so that's very interesting because not even did the, the detractors um, deny that there were authentic miracles happening. Well, since we're talking about miracles and healing specifically, um, let's just start with that topic. I, I, I want to just kind of talk through i've got a list of several things you hear um in in the continuation of charismatic circles when it comes to uh the gifts of healings and we'll just kind of talk about some of these things there are things that we've all heard um maybe they're new for some people um who have lived outside of ha have been exposed to this kind of thing which is odd in our day and time it's so prolific but i mean just 
listen to some of this thing. Uh, the, the, these because God wills that Christians enjoy His blessings. Sickness shows that you are out of His will. I, I wow. mean, you hear variations of this kind of thing. Wow. Um, and and I, I mean, these healing doctrines, I have to be honest, they, they infuriate me because they belittle people's faith. In some cases, yeah. they cause death, genuine, real death. We talked about that in the prior episode. Um, and they manipulate and twist um, God's plans and purposes for his people, and they, and they confuse people. But the idea that God wants Christians to enjoy his blessings. You, you think of Ephesians, the first chapter, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places right. mm-hmm. that since that's true, somehow sickness shows that we're out of his will. Well, I mean, we could go to a dozen different examples, but so then was the apostle Paul outside of God's will. I mean, he clearly had some sort of infliction. Now we, we don't know exactly what that was. We know he had a thorn in the flesh, whatever that may be. We know that it was bothersome such that he prayed three times. And then we also know that the Lord said, no, you're going to yeah. keep that, whatever that is. So, I mean, just that one example goes against this. You mentioned Timothy earlier, First uh, yeah. Timothy 5, uh, 23. Paul says, no longer drink water only. Now, that's interesting because that tells me that he's been doing it for a while and Paul has known about it. So he's not healed him this whole time. But and then he says, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Mm -hmm. Right. So was Timothy outside of God's will? Was Paul? Did Paul misunderstand God's will by giving Timothy the wrong advice? I don't think so. Um, I mean, this is essentially the equivalent of, oh, uh, you broke your leg. Go see the doctor and get it reset and get medications. Yeah. That's that's the equivalent of what we have Paul telling Timothy here. You have a headache? Go take some ibuprofen, man. Um, you know, it's good and it's fine. Um, and and yeah. so so that's one that we have. Yeah, and so I would add Second Corinthians uh, four sixteen. Paul says, "Therefore, we do not lose lose heart." For though our outer man is decaying, okay, just stop and think about that for a moment. What does it mean that our outer man is decaying? He's obviously contrasting the physical and from the spiritual. He, he's saying the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So while spiritually we are continuing to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that's Romans 8, 29, <clears throat> the outer man is decaying. That means we are aging and our body is being subject to the aging process. And then you think about the letter to the Philippians. Um, Epaphroditus nearly died. Epaphroditus brought the letter to Paul, nearly died, and and Paul said it was just really by the grace of God that he was delivered from that. <clears throat> so, but he never mentions a sin issue from Epaphroditus. So we can't. It's obviously unbiblical to to say that sickness puts you outside of the the, the will of God. James says our life is nothing more than a vapor, meaning we're all going to die. And how is it that we die? Well, we're not all executed. We're not all martyred. Some of us just die from age. And even a lot of these faith healers, um, you, you see Bill Johnson wearing glasses. Uh, Kenneth Copeland has a pacemaker. So yeah. e- even these uh, supposed faith healers have evidences of of that outer man decaying. So it, it's hypocritical to say that you will never face illness or disease or, or sickness or anything like that. And really the the logical conclusion of that is that we should live forever, starting right now. We we should never die. Yeah. We should never age. But that's clearly not the case. 
Yeah, I mean, th- just that point right there m- makes the case. Um, you know, and it's interesting because for those who are think, well, I mean, did Paul do a lot of miracles? I mean, what was going on? I mean, listen, so listen to this. So the same Paul that, um, you know, tells Timothy, you know, I I know you're drinking, basically, I know you've been drinking water because of your ailments. Stop doing that. Take a little bit of wine for your stomach. So the same Paul that basically tells Timothy, you need to take some medication for that. Um, In Acts chapter nine, listen to what the same Paul did it says there was a young name named, named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, mm-hmm. yep. sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he sunk into that sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. So if you think your preacher talks too much, he doesn't hold a candle to Paul. Yeah. So he talks <laughs> so much that the guy falls asleep and he falls out the window and he dies. Verse 10, but Paul went down and fell upon him. So he, you know, laid over him and after embracing him and said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them as uh, uh, a long while until daybreak and then left. So he heals the guy in this instance. But then but you stop seeing that um, as the church age progresses. Um, you, You don't see this kind of thing from Paul. As Paul's writings progress, you actually see quite the opposite. It's all an emphasis on preaching the word on Christ. In fact, you get to Paul's last letters um, in, in Timothy, right, just before Paul's about to be executed. And the emphasis is all on one thing for Timothy, that he preached the word of God. And so right. nothing about miracles, nothing about healing. And so you see in Scripture that the preaching of the word of God always takes precedence over these miracles. And so we can just rightly judge, um, even though we would say that there's not even these healings really taking place, even if they were, if there was any kind of emphasis on miracles over the word, it would still be out of order biblically. And that's all you have today. You won't find one charismatic uh, today who emphasizes the true preaching of the word of God over miracles. That's just not what we see today. Um, yeah, and we've said we, before that when Jesus Christ performed miracles, it was to validate his message. Same with the apostles. When they performed miracles, it was to validate their message. And then by the time you get to Timothy, it, it's clear, at, at least when you read through the letters, Paul never, ever refers to any kind of gifting that Timothy has that would be considered of the supernatural. He's he doesn't have the gift of miracles, the, the gift of tongue, the gift of prophecy, or at least Paul never mentions it. And certainly in the final letter to him, as you mentioned, 2 Timothy 4, he certainly doesn't emphasize it. What he emphasizes is preaching the word. And, and he even says there will, there will come a time where they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So no longer does Timothy, uh, does Timothy is, is he ex- expected to do what Paul did, which is basically show the signs and miracles of an apostle. No, Timothy's source of authority is going to be the word. Even when people go and collect for themselves teachers that that turn them away to uh turn turn them away from truth and into believing in myths. So Timothy is just to do the work of an evangelist. He's to be a faithful mm-hmm. preacher. He is to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction according to 2 Timothy 4:2. Yeah, and same with Titus. You don't find any mention at all of doing anything miraculous. It is all centered around protecting sound doctrine 
and preaching the word of God. We do in scripture that necessity to uh, to put the emphasis on on that. You know, it's interesting. So for guys who are like, okay, well, but that doesn't really prove necessarily um, that that it's it's gone away. Well, I mean, you should be convinced already, but if you're not, you can go to Hebrews chapter one. I, I mean, I love the first couple of verses in Hebrews because if nothing else, what we have to acknowledge in, the, in these passages is that there was some distinction between how God used to speak to people and how he speaks to us now. So it, even if you wanted to argue over what exactly that looked like, you'd be forced to at least acknowledge that. So Hebrews chapter one, one says, God having past tense, spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days spoke to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he has made the worlds um and, and so there is a clear distinction between how god did speak to his people and now how right. he speaks to his people so then the question here as honest theologians, honest Christians who are rightly dividing the word of truth would be a legitimate question would be, okay, so what does he mean by the fact that he speaks in his son? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, how, how would you answer that question? What does it mean that, that God speaks now through his son? Yeah. Jesus Christ, uh, he fulfilled the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18, when God said, I'm going to raise up, he said to Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet from among you, and I'm going to put my word into his mouth. Jesus Christ came and he spoke forth the word of God and he not only did that, but he spoke with the authority of God. You know, it's just like when you see on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, you have read this, but I say to you. And that and that phrase, I say to you, he repeats over and over and over again. And there's never been a prophet that spoke with that kind of authority. So Jesus Christ spoke forth with the authority that no other prophet could, could claim. And not only that, but he also provided uh, the, he promised the the gift of the Holy Spirit to his apostles and told them that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and lead you into all truth. And so essentially he commissioned the writing of the New Testament. So some of those, some people uh, who are non-cessationists will hear that those verses from Hebrews that he has now spoken to us through his son. But uh, we'll point out, but yes, but Jesus Christ did commission apostles and prophets with those kinds of gifts, and they would be right, um, but they were speaking on the authority of Christ. Um, the, those apostles were specifically the his apostles, those who witnessed him, who were there and, and saw his resurrection, uh, the one exception being Paul, and Paul himself received that divine revelation directly from Christ and spent three years being instructed by the Lord. Um, so these were all men who were who were direct disciples that that generation that uh, that were with uh, and, and immediately followed uh, the the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, so we we recognize that the authority comes from Christ. And there was a, a good question that I remember being asked: What do you do with First Thessalonians five twenty? First Thessalonians five nineteen says, "Do not quench the spirit," and then verse twenty says, "Do not despise prophetic utterances." Mm. Okay, so some might ask, well, what do you do with that? Because it sounds like you guys are despising prophetic utterances. Well, look question. at verse 21. Yeah, verse 21 says, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. And also in 1 Corinthians 14, the Corinthian church, they had a number of prophets there who were speaking over each other. 
And Paul was trying to bring order to them. And he said in Mm -hmm. verse uh, 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that you may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, what does that mean? The spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. Well, a true prophet should be able to validate the ministry, the prophecy ministry of another, right? And at the very end, uh, Paul says, um, verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or a spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment, which was genius. Okay, it was genius. Verse 38, he says, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not to be recognized. Paul, as the apostle, lays down his authority here and says, if you have anyone who claims to be a prophet but denies what I wrote, you know right away they're not a prophet. Any true prophet should be able to automatically affirm what I've just said. And that's the other side to this too, is that prophets know the word of God. Prophets do not speak contrary to the word of God. Prophets yeah. understand the word of God. And and so when you come across prophets today, and we mentioned this last time, but there are so many prophets that show a, an alarming ignorance of what the word of God says, because they often say things that that contradict or don't align with, with scripture at all. And unfortunately, the people who are following them follow in the same kind of pattern. And so we see this fruit coming out and the, the fruit is not good. Um, but yeah, when... Yeah. Uh, and this is kind of a long-winded uh, answer to to your question, but um, he has God has spoken to us through His Son and the ones whom His Son has ordained. And by the time Paul writes that letter to Timothy, I believe that's Paul's way of telling Timothy, "Okay, what you have now at your disposal, that is what you need to rely upon in in proclaiming the good news and doing God's work." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so that was a really good question, and and I think that was a good answer. Thank you for that, Eki. Um, yeah, I mean, every time a pastor gets up in the pulpit and he opens the Word of God and rightly preaches the Word of God, he is prophesying the Word of God. When we proclaim the return of the Christ, or uh, return of Christ, we're 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 prophesying. Um, it's not some mystical new revelation that then could be added to Scripture. Um, it, it's simply recounting what has been now taught in ages past. And this is interesting because when you get to the book of Jude, for instance, right? I mean, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, um, again, the whole emphasis of his writings. I mean, like he, so he grows up with Jesus. Uh, he's, you know, he's the brother of Jesus by the by his father. Um, that I don't, the, the Catholics take a hard hit there. Uh, so clearly Mary had more children. Um, But his whole emphasis was on guarding sound doctrine. You don't see anything about miracles in there. Um, And then you get to the end of that and he he makes it clear that it's the doctrine that has already been handed down, right, um, by the apostles. And so, yeah. Uh, And so we got that. And and there are just other questions about healing. So, for instance, um, just kind of using our minds a little bit. And I've said this publicly several times, and I think people take it as just kind of a mean prodding, but it's a genuine truth and a genuine question. If there are people who do in fact have the gift of healing today, right? Uh, they can, they, they, they walk by people and, you know, their shadow heals them, or they can tell someone to, you know, yeah. get out of the wheelchair and, and a limb right. grows back or whatever the case is. Um, if there are people like that today, I want to know why they aren't at St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Right. And and they never have been. Mm-hmm. It's never once happened. Um, and, and I mean, but really, like, if you proclaim to have healing, 
why aren't you walking through hospitals? And, and here's the thing, because no one with a half a brain would deny this. If anyone ever walked through any hospital, doesn't even have to be a children's hospital, and just started healing people, they would be on every single news channel um, right. th- th- that existed. Uh, I, I mean, people like Jesus would be flocking to that person. And so, I mean, that's anecdotal, um, but we see that all throughout scripture. It was so real and undeniable that human nature kicks in and everyone who wanted to get healed would find Jesus. And so if there was a person with the real gift of healing, you know, not these charlatans like Todd White, who's fake healing, you know, people's leg because it's a centimeter shorter than the other one. Right, uh, right. Apparently there's a mass epidemic of short legs in, in our country. But anyway, um, but it's so silly uh, or or, you know, back pain on a scale. And that's a big thing you find so-called healers do. Right. Uh, they get people hyped up and they'll say, OK, what's what pain level are you at now? They started at a at an at a eight, you know, excruciating pain. And, you know, after they've been praying and, and they've got some emotions going and the adrenaline kicks in. You know, they'll ask him again, what level are you now? Oh, well, I was an eight. Now I'm a five. Okay, God's healing you. God's healing you. Show me one place in scripture where the gift of healing looked like that. You can't. No. And and even beyond that, you know, more than being just psychosomatic healings, where it's just in your mind. Listen, adrenaline is a real drug and, and it is a pain reliever. Um, of course, if you have slight pain somewhere and your adrenaline kicks in, uh, you're going to feel better. That is a normal, known, natural response to receiving adrenaline. It's just that your body naturally produces that. Same thing with chemicals in the brain, serotonin and other things like that. There are just natural responses to being hyped up, you know, that, that can cause, you know, inflammation and pain to go away temporarily. Uh, those that's not the gift of healing that that's fraudulent you know i I would add to that that there is um, another error that's piled on top of that that if you don't have healing it's because you lack faith um so there's uh, a lot Mm -hmm. of these uh health wealth prosperity faith healers Mm -hmm. will say it happens if you have faith and oftentimes the way you demonstrate your faith is by giving money that also is not biblical and some will point to the fact that Jesus Christ uh, could not perform signs in his own hometown because of the lack of faith there. That's a, that's talking about a different faith. It wasn't that they didn't have faith in him as as a miracle worker or in his ability to perform signs. They they lack faith in him as the Messiah, right? Um, and and the gospel is um, is whether that the gospel the call is for you to put your faith into Jesus Christ. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to pay the penalty of your sins, and that by repenting and believing in him you will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life that right there is the gospel it means that you are saved and so no one can tell you that you lack the kind of faith that they did in jesus day because they lacked the faith of who jesus was in who he claimed to be that he was the son of god Um, but in the case of today's faith healers they're saying that you lack the faith in the actual miracle and and that's not biblical because the miracles that happened um they happened they, they were widespread you look at that again mark chapter one it was a massive group of people that were coming and just being healed there was no discrimination in terms of how they felt about it and to your point there there was no report of a kind of partial healing it was complete 
And when we issue the challenge of saying, hey, why don't you go to a hospital? Why don't you go to St. Jude's and, and perform these miracles so that everyone can see it? That would actually, if they did that, that would actually be following in the pattern of what Jesus Christ and the apostles did, because it was meant to draw attention to themselves and ultimately point to the message that they would share. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, this kind of goes along with another thing that you hear often. It's, you know, it's it's God's will to always heal. You know, and if people have been listening already, they know biblically that's not the case because there were times where Jesus said, OK, we're done. We're going to go. I've got somewhere to go preach. And preaching was priority over the healing or he would often slip out and go pray alone. And, and so we see regularly. And then, you know, and think about the pool of Bethesda. I, I mean, I, I just think about the scenario. So there were all kinds of sick people there. I mean, that's clear mm -hmm. in the passage because what? They were waiting on the stirring of the waters. Right. And interestingly enough, even the fact that only one got healed in the stirring of the waters is, is proof that it's not God's will to heal always all the time because only yeah. one got healed. And so you have all these people waiting around the pool for the stirring of the waters. Jesus comes I mean, he passes all of these sick people to get to one. He heals the one man, tells him to take his bed and go. And then he leaves. He doesn't heal anybody else. He, Everyone else is undoubtedly looking, watching, there, present. And yet Jesus only heals one person. Um, and then what do you do with things like Job? Go to the book of Job, um, where not, not only did someone not get healed, but in fact, he got sick, right? And and that was God's sovereign work in his life, right? It, I mean, you just read the, read the first book of Job, um, and while Satan is the means by which God uses, and so Satan's the one that gives Job the boils, but God gives him the permission. Not only that, yeah. Satan, there's no indication that Satan was even aware of Job, mm -hmm. right? When you read those opening chapters, you know, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Right. And then what's really interesting is that God declares Job's righteousness before him, and he still goes through those trials. He loses his whole family. Um, he loses his wealth. He loses his reputation. Uh, he loses his health so much to so so much so to where his, his wife, tongue in cheek, is like, just curse God and die, you know. Um, and so that was all God's sovereign work. And so if somehow health was associated with um, with God's will or with faith, what do you do with the book of Job? You would actually yeah. have to make God, well, one, it would be against his own word if that were true. And so just that whole kind of doctrine breaks down when you consider those things. And it's not the only place, you know, God only healed one person. Um, and yeah, and, and not only that, but he took life. And then there were people like Lazarus who had no faith because he was dead. I mean, yeah. like three day bodies starting to stink dead. Um, and Jesus heals him. You know, uh, I forget the 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 son, right? Uh, the prophet is it Elijah or Elisha. Um, uh, Elijah, Elijah, yeah, yeah, Elijah, <laughs> right? Yep. Heals the boy also totally <laughs> dead. There was no faith there, and. There was right. no faith in uh, the person Jesus Christ either there. Yeah. And and so that it, when you just look, take a step back and look at scripture, 
I mean, could so easily disprove what we see today. And I, I think maybe like, let's just talk about in, in the few minutes that we have left. And, and I think we, sh- we should do a part three where we pick up and talk about uh, next week. We'll talk about what, what's a biblical prophet. Uh, what, what is the, the requirements for a prophet um, and then tongues. Um, but let's talk about why is there so, why, why do people so desperately want to believe these things are genuine? Because you have two different groups of people, I think. You have the guys who know that this is not real and authentic, and they are deceiving people to build their own worldly kingdoms. They're charlatans, they're frauds, uh, they're false teachers, false prophets. They are genuine wolves that we need to call out. But then I think you have another group of people um, who are are maybe even genuine believers and they just, they get caught up in this because they long to see God working. Um, what are some of the reasons you think that is? And, and how would you help someone who was kind of caught up in the desire to see God do something? How, how, how would you counsel them? You know, Ephesians 2 talks about how we were all dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once followed after the world and after the prince of the power of the air, doing uh, just whatever our heart and our flesh desired, just following the lusts. And then verse 4 says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Look at what the greatest miracle is in the Bible. And the greatest miracle is the new heart that comes as a result of the gospel. That is the clear focus um, of the message that is supposed to go out to unbelievers. That is the clear focus to believers in terms of how we are to conduct ourselves. Right? I mean, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, showing that the gospel is not only what saves, it is the standard by which we are to live our lives. And, and so I think what we what ends up happening is a lot of people don't understand the miracle of the new heart, of, of a regenerated uh, spirit, a uh, regenerated heart and, and a new new spirit that that helps us to, to know and to understand God's word. I would say this also, that the more I study the word of God, and this has been continual ever since the Lord graciously saved me, the, the more I study it, the more I'm amazed by it, right? I mean, the the connections that are there are absolutely astounding. Um, the, the the wisdom that went behind this plan of redemption and how the seeds were sown all the way back from the beginning and how you can have four plus prophets, uh, 40 plus writers from different uh, time periods, different geographies, different languages, different cultures, writing it, the words of God and all pointing to the same person. Um, these are all, to me, tremendous miracles that we should be in awe of. Um, when I'm in biblical counseling, I, I've counseled uh, couples who have come in and they're fighting with each other like cats and dogs, and they've been doing that for decades. And then to be able to counsel them with God's word, and then to be able to see the work of God in their in their minds and in their hearts, where even their children will look at them and say, you know what, you're acting really weird now because you, you guys aren't fighting anymore. And, and it means that in a good way. <clears throat> To, to see those kinds of things is the miraculous hand of God working through his word. So if you want to see miracles, look at the word of God. The word of God itself 
is a divine revelation of God given to us and study it. And you will see just how amazing that book is and how, how so impossible it is for man to have written that based upon his own wisdom, right? It, it can only come from God. So I think a lot of people who pursue these experiences, who pursue, they want to see God working, you know, a lot of it is because they have neglected the testimony of God and his work through his amazing word. So that's, you know, when people go deep into the word, I, I tell you, when when you're in awe of God's word, you need to look for no other um, signs and miracles. And then when you, when you recognize the work of salvation, the work of giving you a new heart, replacing your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, um, helping to illuminate your mind and your hearts to the text, um, adopting you to an, a, a new family where you, you can build up a kind of unity that that cannot be explained by the world. Um, I had another young man who uh, who who just had a number of seizure attacks, and and he was in the hospital. He had to have uh, be induced into a coma, and by God's grace, um, he's he's out of it now. He called me this morning and was just sharing with me just how much he's praising God, um, knowing that um, that he's saved, that he knows the Lord, and that now even though his future is uncertain with regards to his health and the treatments and all that. He trusts in God's sovereignty, and he knows that whatever God brings about is going to be for good. Those are the kinds of reactions that they don't make sense to the human world. They don't make sense to the natural man, but they make complete sense to the one who knows Christ and understands the honor and the blessing it is to have his spirit and to be able to follow him and to be able to do his will. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, talking about healing, Sometimes infirmity is given by God um, for his glory. And yeah. and that sounds shocking to people. But I, I mean, go to John chapter nine and read where the disciples are asking Jesus, you know, so why is this man blind? Who sinned? In fact, yeah. the, the, the beginning of it, right, says, and his disciples ask him saying, verse two, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind? They have the same view as many charismatics here. Yeah. And Jesus corrects their doctrine, right? In verse three, Jesus answers. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So it, his infirmity had nothing to do with sin. But this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. That's right. And then he heals him. And so um, I, I don't know if there's any indication of how old this man was. But the point is that God determined that he would be born blind and he would live with that up until this day. Right. So God gave him the infirmity ultimately so that God himself would be glorified. That's an entirely different view than what we see in the charismatic church. Um, and so rather than chasing healing, right, um, I think we've well established that you know, the, the healers we have today are fake and not biblical. But even if they were, uh, even if we still lived in the age where there were faith healers walking around with people getting healed by their shadows, we would rather seek the glory of God than just something physical. And even then, we would be forced to acknowledge that some sickness is God's way of bringing glory to himself. And I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said something to the fact of, I can't quote it exactly, but um, whatever infirmity causes us to embrace Christ more or come to Christ, 
uh, is something worth embracing. Um, it, you know, some 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 sentiment like that. And his point was just very simply: um, if we have an ailment ailment or a sickness in our life, and that is the reason that we cling to Christ the way we do, then it's actually a good thing. It yep. it's it's not something evil or wicked or from Satan. And now I'm just thinking of um, uh, uh, her name's just slipped off my head. Uh, she had a, a swimming accident many many years ago. Um, she's in a wheelchair now. Uh, Is this a surfer? Uh, uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Oh, Joni Erickson. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, listen to her testimony. Yeah. So I think she got that in a diving accident, if I remember correctly. Um, and and of course she's permanently paralyzed. Uh, for for the rest of her life, yeah. and listen to her take on on yeah. that, um, and you'll find quite quickly that it really resembles John chapter nine um, that God has been glorified in her life due to that. And so, I, I think those are the biblical ways to to view healing. So we don't have people with the gift of healing today, which is why nobody sees it. Um, you know, our dear friend Justin Peters. I, I don't know how many times he's put out the challenge. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll pay your ticket to go here and heal people. Um, or you know, in fact, um, it, there was some guy online that responded to Justin and said something like, "Oh, I'd love to just come and heal you and see you get out of the wheelchair." And uh, I think he, you know, and yeah, okay, so do it. I offered to pay the guy's plane ticket. Um, funny how he hasn't taken me up on that. Um, so I guess he just doesn't want to heal Justin, but you don't see it because it doesn't exist today. But I think the point is that we don't need it. There's something more valuable and that's the word of God, um, that we have. And let me just end on this. We've mentioned this before, but you know, if you're listening to us, just grab your Bible right now and open up to two Peter, uh, open up to second Peter first chapter, verse 16, and highlight this. Um, or if you're like me and you don't like to write in books, just make a note on a piece of paper. Uh, so <laughs> listen to what they say. For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his majesty. So they're talking about Christ. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, quote, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So they're talking about the transfigured Christ. I mean, this is the miracle of miracles. Yeah. If yeah. ever there was going to be a miracle that you would want to see that would keep your faith, grow your faith, that would sustain you. I mean, this would be it. But that's not where Peter stops. He goes on in verse 19. And we have as more sure the prophetic word. Yep. He's comparing the word, mm -hmm. the transfiguration of Christ, as that which is more sure. He goes, to which we to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he goes on to say that no prophecy of scripture is by man, but by God. I mean, here is Peter saying, forget miracles. 
We've seen the miracle of miracles, but we have something even greater than that, the word of God. Yep. Why would you ever chase miracles? Even if we did still have miracle workers today, the, the gifts today, which we don't. Uh, the, the apostles here are saying there's something just far, far greater than that. And the sad irony is that the group of people who know the word of God the least in the church are in the charismatic circles. Those who have a high emphasis for miracles have a low view of the word of God, totally contrary to everything we see in scripture from Jesus to his apostles throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Any last thoughts? Yeah, you know, that's that's a big statement that some may find uh, very uh, condescending and, and maybe even slanderous, but I would submit to you this. Um, I, I read a book written by um, R.T. Kendall, and he is someone who believes in the spiritual gifts, but also calls himself Reformed. And he wrote a book called uh, Holy Fire, where he tries to bridge the gap between the Charismatics and, and the Reformed Church. And, and in weighing the two against each other, even he himself, who calls himself a charismatic, he believes in the charismatic gifts, says that the weakness of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement by and large is that they do not know the word of God. And that to me is just, that that's bad fruit because the, the word of God is what is sufficient for us to be able to, uh, to, to make us equipped for every single good work according to 2 Timothy 3.17. Amen. Well, guys, I hope this has been helpful to you. We'll do a part three next week we'll talk about what is biblical prophecy and what is tongues and we'll kind of end this i think on that one uh, before we move on but uh in the meantime don't forget that we do have a youtube channel uh if you prefer to watch videos i know some folks do, do make sure you subscribe to us there and we'd love to hear from you uh shoot us an email you can find that in the show notes um, if God has used uh, our ministry in your life somehow, we'd love to rejoice with you. If you have some ideas uh, about future episodes, you know, hey, pastors, I'd really love to hear what the word of God says about whatever it is. Um, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.